Welcome to The Antithesis. My name is Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. In 1753, pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards wrote this to his daughter, Esther. Though you are a great way off from us, yet you are not out of our minds. I am full of concern for you, often think of you, and often pray for you. Though you are at so great a distance from us and from all your relations, yet this is a comfort to us, that the same God that is here is also at Onaquaga, that though you are out of our sight and out of our reach, you are always in God's hands, who is infinitely gracious, and we can go to him and commit you to his care and mercy. This is one of the most beautiful passages I have ever read in a letter. It is from a godly father to his daughter, assuring her of this earthly father's love, which is a very serious and real and needed reality. But even more than that, Jonathan Edwards, as a godly father, points his daughter to the much greater care of a heavenly father who has Esther, his daughter, in 1753, in his hands. You are always, as a Christian, in God's hands. I found this phrase so powerful that it became the name of the devotional I wrote and published in 2018 entitled, Always in God's Hands, Day by Day in the Company of Jonathan Edwards. That was with Tyndale House. It's a 365-day devotional. I chose it with my publisher as the title of the devotional because in contrast to the reputation on Edwards that obtains in some circles in America and beyond, Edwards actually wrote and preached a great deal more about comfort and the care of God and the love of God for his people than he did judgment. Edwards was not shy, as he should not have been, about preaching judgment, and yet Edwards taught and wrote and preached and communicated a great deal about the care of God for his people and the care of God for his people when they are in trying circumstances. Note what I read just a few minutes ago. Esther is not with her father. She is at a great distance from her father and from all her family, from all your relations. And so she does not have earthly comfort in the form that she has had it in seasons past. That is the context of her father's letter to her. So you could say she's in a difficult spot. She's in a, a faith testing spot. And it is in precisely this moment that Jonathan Edwards reminds his daughter that she is never out of God's hand. You are always in God's hands. And you're not just locationally there through saving faith. This God who holds you and carries you and walks beside you, Edwards writes, is infinitely gracious. Infinitely gracious. Perfectly gracious transcendently gracious. Again, these are beautiful and needed words, not just for Esther, <laughs> 267 years ago, 268 years ago, I guess now. I've got to do my math right. Always a dangerous proposition on this podcast in public. But it's needful for us as well. I would submit to you that many of you are feeling very similar to Esther. You yourself are in a faith-stretching and faith-testing circumstance. There is much around you that is in upheaval. Things around you seem to be crumbling. It seems to be getting harder in America and beyond to be a Christian 
it seems to be harder to be a Christian even in church. There's much that we seemingly took as stable that now is not stable. There are many we looked to for leadership and help who are not serving in those roles in late 2021. I could go on and on. We are living through, in America, a political regime that seems bent against everything we stand for as Christians. We are watching as leftism works its way fully, it seems, into the American bloodstream and transforms what institutions have not already been transformed by the poison of leftism. So this is a trying time. This is a challenging time. It feels like we are at so great a distance from normalcy and stability and hope. And yet, we are reminded by Edwards, writing 268 years ago in 1753, that we are always in God's hands. There are four dimensions to this reality that I'll just quickly bring out for you today to try to encourage you and strengthen you and comfort you. The first dimension of the reality that the Christian, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the born again follower of Christ is in God's hands, is this. We've always been in God's hands. It's never been otherwise in terms of the plan of God. I don't refer to our earthly situation because Ephesians 2, 5 teaches that we were born children of wrath and we must do justice to that even as many preachers and teachers today are not doing justice to that. But nonetheless, you also have to acknowledge Romans 8, 28 to 30. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What this means is that if you are a believer, you were foreknown, which means synonymously you were foreloved, and you were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. You were predestined. In other words, your destiny was set by God. You were chosen. You were elected, to use another biblical term. God decided before there ever was a world, before you were a distant sparkle on the horizon, that you would be his. You have always, in that sense of God's plan, the Father's plan, been in God's hands. I am not, in any sense, softening the reality of the necessity of conversion for every single person who lives, and thus the reality of conversion for everyone who becomes a Christian. No one is born a Christian. No one is a natural born citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, of the local church beyond it. So let us note that. Let us be very clear about that. You have to say two things here, as you've heard me say elsewhere on this podcast, if you listen to it at all. You have to say two things here rather than just one thing. You have to say, one, we all must be converted, but two, in God's plan, according to God's will, all who are in Christ, everyone who becomes a born-again believer was predestined before the foundation of time to know the living God, to be saved. So in that sense, the sense of God's divine plan, 
you've always been in God's hands. It was always God's intention to regenerate you once you came into existence and give you saving faith and turn you from eternal wrath to eternal life. God didn't shockedly find you wandering and discover an interest in you on the spot. You didn't surprise God. Your faith didn't take God aback. God is the one who predestined that you would be born again and be given the gift, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, of saving faith. What a wondrous mystery and reality this is, that you and I were predestined and foreknown, foreloved, elected before this whole enterprise that we call earth even began, even kicked off. And there's tremendous confidence in that and knowing just how loved you are. You're eternally loved as a Christian. The second dimension of these truths is this. You are now in God's hands at the present time. John 10, 25 teaches us this. Jesus says this, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here we have Christ affirming what we have been saying, that the Christian is presently in the hand of Christ in verse 28, John 10, 28, and the Father, John 10, 29. We are in the hands of God. God is holding us. God is protecting us. God is making sure that no one snatches us away from him. God is the great protector. God is the one who holds us fast when everything else gives way. God is the one who cares for us. And we are not held in the hand of God in a restrained, uh, asphyxiating sense. We are held in the sense that we are tenderly held. God graciously holds us. The Father has given us to the Son. The Father is greater than all. John 10, 29. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one can snatch them out of the Son's hand. The Father and the Son have brought us to salvation through the agency of the Spirit, and no one can undo it. No one can unsave us. Satan cannot unsave us. We cannot unsave ourselves. It cannot happen. No one can unhand us from God. We are now presently in God's hands. It's so important that we know this theological truth, that we confess it to ourselves, to our own fickle, sinful hearts, and that we confess it to others, and that our churches let it rip and let it ring. It's so important that we anchor ourselves in doctrinal truth and biblical realities, that even though we feel shaken, perhaps on every side today, in any day, any age, we continue to confess that we are now in the hand, the strong, sure hand of God. Know that now. 
You may not feel like you are in God's hands now. You may feel like God has dropped you. You may feel like there's too many people in God's hands and he, he can't keep everybody in his hands like you at the grocery store when you no, neglect to get a cart or one of those little baskets. And, and so you're like, no, I can handle this. I can handle this. I can, I can keep the tomatoes and the bananas and the frozen pizza and the uh, dark chocolate Milanos. I can keep it all in my arms. I'm, I'm good with this. Maybe this is especially what guys in particular are prone to thinking. This has never happened to me, I assure you. Irony alert. And then what happens as you traverse your way through the grocery store is that little grocery store items begin to feel a little bit heavier than they are. They begin to slip from your hands and maybe you even drop them. Well, maybe you feel like that spiritually. Maybe you feel like you've been dropped or you're going to be dropped. Like, like you're too sinful to be kept and held. Like your past is too rugged. Like your present is too up and down. But it is not so. If you are in Jesus Christ by saving faith, if you have turned from your sin and repented of them and confessed them to God, you will never be taken out of the hand of God. God will never lose you. He will never leave you. He will not drop you. You will not be left behind. You are safe in the everlasting arms. You are safe now, come what may. This leads to our third dimension of this truth. Know that when you die, God will catch you. When you die, God will catch you. You remember along these lines, the two criminals hung with Christ. We pick up the account of Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ, the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. When you die, God will catch you, if you will. This thief, dying on the cross beside the Son of God, knew that he was guilty. He was receiving his just rewards, his just desserts for his deeds. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he had done something terribly wrong. But he also knew that this man, Jesus Christ, had done nothing wrong. And in a simple way, articulated in just a few words in Luke 23, 42, he, he, he addresses Christ and, and basically confesses Christ as Savior. He recognizes that Jesus is the Savior of a sinner like him, and he asks Jesus to remember him. This is a cry of salvation. And Jesus responds immediately, Jesus dying himself on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So this thief is going to die. His body's going to give out. He's going to continue to be in agony until indeed he passes over from life to death. But immediately upon the moment, the second, the millisecond of his death, Jesus receives him in paradise. 
you will be with me. Jesus goes to paradise and Jesus takes this thief with him. This is so important for us to mark and take note of and be encouraged by. Because all around us, as I've talked about a a good bit previously, people are ensnared and enslaved to the fear of death. Now, that's always been the reality of the natural man, and it always will be. Those who do not confess their sin and repent of it are always enslaved to their sin and thus enslaved to the reality that death is going to bring judgment to them. They don't know the fullness of what awaits them. It's impossible to know the fullness of what awaits you in terms of the judgment of God. It is truly beyond imagination. Just like the glories that await the Christian in eternity are beyond imagination and speech and reckoning. Nonetheless, the unbeliever is actually rightly sensing that death is a terrible reality for him. And so he fears death, and not just a little bit of fear, such that he needs some spiritual aspirin for his fear. He fears death holistically. Death terrifies the unbeliever. Unbelievers cope with death and the fear of death and their sin in different ways, all sorts of different ways. Let that be said. Not everybody responds the same way. Not everybody manifests their fear in the same way. A lot of people, for example, especially perhaps those doing well in life, so to speak, pretend like these aren't realities at all, like everything's good, like death is just the cessation of existence and and so on and so forth. But everyone actually knows that death is coming for them. Everyone lives with a sword over their head. They know that God exists. There are no atheists in this world. Romans 1, 18 to 21. There's not a single one by nature. Everyone, Paul says, knows that God exists. The things about God as eternal nature and divine power have been clearly perceived since the foundation of this earth. And then Romans 2, 14 to 16 tells us that everyone has a conscience. So everyone knows that they deserve judgment. They don't know the fullness of it, but nonetheless, in some form, they react to it and not the right way, right? No one naturally responds to the reality of their sin, which deserves eternal judgment from a just God and, and death in the right way. Everyone responds the wrong way outside of saving faith given by God. How different then does the Christian live? Because the Christian, by the power of Christ's blood shed for us and his resurrection, his resurrection power granted to us through faith and repentance means that death has been overcome for us. Death is merely the gateway to eternal life for the Christian. God will catch us when we die. So we don't fear death. We do not live in the fear of death. Objectively, death is overcome. Because, fourthly and finally, we know that it's not just at the moment of death, that God will catch us. We know that we will forever be in God's hands for all eternity to come, beyond all time. Think about a passage like Revelation 22, 1 and following. Then the angel, John writes, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river 
the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Christian, you are going to be with God, in God's hands, so to speak, for all eternity to come again beyond all time. What a comfort this is to you. If you will lift up your eyes and look to the horizon, you will see that the sun is already dawning. You will remember as you lift your eyes by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit, that though it seems like we are plunged in darkness and everything is crumbling around us, God's grace is still very much active and operative in this world. And even more than this, God's grace will carry you into eternity. There is much to say about life in this fallen world, in this era. And I try uh, as best I humbly can, and it's not much uh, to try to, to help Christians think through the times in which we live, the evil days in which we find ourselves. But I don't know a lot about <laughs> this era and how to handle it and grapple with it. I do my best from the all-sufficient Word of God to, to connect to these things, but I know this. I know that what the Word of God says is iron-clad truth. It's got the feel of steel to it. And you and I, as Christians, will forever be in God's hands. No one will take us out of God's presence. No one will come to the Father and read off uh, a, a, a failing of ours that was overlooked, that means that we get to be ejected from the new heavens and the new earth. No, we are headed there now. We are already in God's hands now. We have been in God's hands, in a sense, in terms of his plan, his decree for all time, and we will be in God's hands. We will be with God forever. This is a comfort to us, that though you are out of our sight and out of our reach, Edwards wrote to Esther, his daughter, you are always in God's hands, who is infinitely gracious, and we can go to him and commit you to his care and mercy. We are all committed to the care and mercy of our infinitely gracious God and it cannot be otherwise.